Welcome to Stuck in Misery, the premier Midwest sports talk podcast. I'm your host, Mark Bergen, joined as always by James West and Sam Renshin. Fellas, the gloves are coming off tonight. We have an absolutely loaded show. Now, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have decided to cancel their fall football seasons. And I want to first preface our discussion tonight with the importance of the seriousness of the coronavirus pandemic. More than 738,000 people worldwide have died with COVID-19. That includes more than 164,000 in the United States. However, CDC data and data from state health departments all throughout the country show us that the virus by and large impacts older people, 65 or older, or others with underlying health illnesses. Younger people tend to be not nearly as susceptible from coronavirus when it comes to mortality rates. So I want to preface our discussion with that tonight, but Sam, I want to go to you first. What was your first reaction when you heard of the news of the Big Ten and Pac-12's decision? Sad. I mean, depressing, disappointing. I mean, pretty much every feeling that uh, has come with 2020, it's like the clock struck midnight, you know, it's, you know, I think it's kind of a precursor for what is to come. And, you know, I think if, you know, we first started through this coronavirus in March and we all thought surely this would be over in a few months, baseball season gets postponed and then NHL gets postponed. And then we all just like have our fingers crossed that hopefully this is over with by football season. Today, we got the news that football is indeed canceled or postponed until the spring. And obviously we'll talk about, I guess, the next steps and how this affects everything. But yeah, I mean, sad. I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, there's not much else you can really say. <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, when I first got this news, like obviously there was some murmurings that this might happen. And by the time it was announced today, everyone kind of knew that, that it was going to happen. But if you for one second say that this decision was made to protect players, I mean, I got to think that, that you got to be joking yourself here. I mean, to me, this decision was made by university presidents because of the fear of legal liability and future collegiate player unionization. And I think it's, to me, it seems pretty cut and dry. That said, I can respect them for deciding to not move forward with the season. I don't think that you can blame them for not wanting to move forward with the season, but all in all, I think you got to think you just call it what it is instead of sugarcoating it or making up fake excuses. One thing I don't understand about the liability argument is that a lot of these Big Ten and Pac-12 schools are going to have students on campus. So how can you argue the fact that it's okay to put them in dorm rooms and in classrooms and to be able to have students on campus, yet you can't play football? And that to me is, so if you want to prove liability, right, you have to be able to prove how the injury occurred. We've seen with these other pro sports leagues that are operating that a lot of the times when the virus spreads, it's as a part of the activities that are outside of the sport itself. So when you're talking about liability, the thing that makes no sense to me, you guys, is how do you prove that you got the virus playing football? And that to me is a question that just does not make any sense at all. No, I mean, I completely agree with you, Mark. And one thing that kind of stuck out in my mind was I totally understand that you might not want to just rush into the football season. I think that you've seen other conferences, the Big Ten, the SEC, and the ACC 
very much pump the brakes and have a strong wait and see mentality. I think another potential option would be to say, you know what, we're going to hit pause and we're going to see how the sport is impacted just on a pure sport level with the NFL, because these guys are professionals and we're amateurs. So let's let the professionals go first. Let's see the immediate effects on the sport and that this virus has on the sport. And then we can filter through into how it works in a collegiate setting as well. I I think that that would make sense, but I agree with you, Mark. And one could argue that, you know, these players are safer in a team environment where they're receiving testing every day. They have a structured schedule where they're practicing, going to class, they're studying, they're in a group environment where they might be tested and find out that they're positive way sooner than they would be if they were just out roaming around and just receiving symptoms. You know, some of these players might be going back to environments when, you know, they're really not put in good situations to succeed and having to go through that, they, I mean, very likely could get coronavirus sooner than they would be in this, you know, college football atmosphere where there's more structure involved. Yeah. I mean, Sam, that's a great point with the more access to testing. I believe it was Nick Saban who said that if a player wants to be tested every single day, they can be tested every single day. I think right now they're testing four times a week. And you got to think, you know, these kids are surrounded by doctors and health professionals every single day. You would think that they are in a safer environment when they're on the field and when they're with those medical personnel and their coaches than if they were either choosing to not come to university this year or if they are exposed as a kind of like a general college student without sports. And that goes back to my points about the general students is they're going to class every single day and it's not as if they're going to be tested for coronavirus just as your run-of-the-mill student at a university. That's just something that just doesn't make any sense with any of this. Last week, the Big Ten put out its schedule and we really tipped our caps to the Big Ten and the planning because, you know, there were some questions that we had about some things, but each team had two bye weeks. It provided that flexibility of inevitably when this virus will spread on college campuses, just because there's only so much social distancing and safety precautions and protocols that you can take to be able to prevent the spread of this virus as best you can. But just a week ago, you had the Big Ten release its schedule, and now rumbling started this weekend about the cancellation of the season, and it becomes official today on Tuesday that the Big Ten is canceling its season. What really changed with this pandemic between now and then? We know the MAC decided to cancel its season, but to me, it's just nonsensical with where we are three weeks before the start of the season was supposed to start. And then just to have such mixed messaging, it starts with the top and it starts with the leadership. James, I know we talked about this a little bit off the air. Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren is in his first season as the Big Ten Commissioner taking over for Jim Delaney. He's in way over his head. And he should have to answer questions about his son playing football at Mississippi State this fall because, look, we're going to have to see what the SEC decides now, what the ACC decides now, and what the Big 12 decides now. Oh, 100%, Mark. It's almost as if the MAC comes out as saying that they're going to cancel their season. But it's almost like the Big Ten want to be like the trendy conference or want to be the leader of the Power Five conference to really come out and be like, hey, we're going to postpone this season just to be seen as a leader among the Power Five conferences. 
it almost to me seems like the, it's just too premature, you know, and it was based on hypotheticals rather than on facts or based on new circumstances that developed in the past week. You know, I mean, it's, it's like every single day there's new data that comes out, right, Sam? And, mm. and it's every single day that you postpone your decision, you have more information to base that decision on. And I think for the big 10 to just come out and cancel it or say that they're going to try to push it to the spring when you have three out of the other power five conferences that still have skin in the game. Again, it seems premature. You would have hoped that all five conferences could have come to a unified decision. But I think another thing that comes to the surface here is the lack of a centralized leader within college football. And for a sport that generates the revenue that it does to not have someone that can be that centralized leadership in situations like this for a sport that grosses as much revenue as college football does. It's honestly, you kind of look back on it and you think that it's absolutely preposterous. And James, maybe you have something there considering all the other sports that are playing. Let me run you through the list really quickly. Most high school football throughout this country is happening this fall. 37 out of the 50 States are playing football this fall. You got major league baseball back the NBA, NHL, MLS, NFL's on track to start its regular season in September. The PGA is back. It was great this weekend. The LPGA, NASCAR, the NWSL, the U.S. Open in tennis, UFC, boxing, the Kentucky Derby, the Indy 500. All of those are happening either right now or in the near future. And college football really is the only major sport at this point in time that is potentially going to get canceled, again, depending on what the other three power five conferences decide. I mean, Mark, I coach CYC fifth grade boys soccer and they're finding a way to have a season. I'm like, how if can fifth grade boys play and not college athletes play? It's just mind blowing. They, surely hey, they can are, your, are your boys getting tested four times a week, Sam? Uh, we have protocols in place. <laughs> they'll be, they'll be ready to play. But, yeah. Hey, kudos to you leadership like yours that that makes it that makes a huge difference for absolutely and one of the commonalities with all of this though is we know that kids these age college kids in college football late teens early 20s as a group are not at a substantial risk of death from the coronavirus it's not to say you can't have complications it's not to say that you couldn't spread it to others which is what the fear is but College kids, by and large, what we've seen to this point with the data, again, since mid-March, that is what we've seen. And so, again, with college kids returning to campus, to me, again, if you're playing that sport and you're getting that testing regularly, you might test positive and be asymptomatic and then know that at least you have it when you would not even known that in the first place. I was listening to an interview with SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, and he was saying he was talking about one football player in particular that had two workouts at two different private facilities this offseason. We don't know what those safety protocols, the cleaning measures, what they've done to ensure that anyone going to that private facility is staying safe, at least if they're on campus playing their sport and they're taking – as much precaution as they possibly can, they have those measures in place to try to keep the student athletes safe. Look, of all the other sports that are back, it would be international news if there was an athlete who got sick and died 
And really, you go back to the liability standpoint of this. It's okay, the worst case scenario, if that happens to an athlete or if an athlete spreads it to a family member, it's the potential lawsuits that these schools, conferences, what have you face if the worst case scenario happens. And look, like the likelihood of that though, life has risks and you have to be able to weigh those risks. And I don't think this is the right decision by the Big Ten and the Pac-12 at all for those reasons. So Mark, I want to circle back to one thing because I don't really feel like we fully covered it. And that is something that you mentioned a few minutes ago with the Big Ten releasing a schedule and then about a week later deciding that they're not going to carry through with that schedule. Why do you think that that happened? Is it some discombobulation as far as who the real decision maker is, whether that be the athletic director in trying to make a season happen and the president deciding that the university won't participate? I mean, why put out a schedule if you're not going to at least try to make a season happen or push back the start of the season in an effort to make it happen or just to collect more information in general? I think the question you have to ask yourself to cancel college football, is it more dangerous for the athletes or are you simply passing the risk elsewhere? That's the question that you have to ask. And if that's the decision-making that our leaders are making, it is a fundamental problem. And I get it. But to me, it's the university presidents, it's the Big Ten commissioner, the Pac-12 commissioner, being able to shift the blame elsewhere. And to me, that's the exact opposite of what real campus leadership should be like. Now, let me play devil's advocate here for a second. I think, so I was doing some research today, and they made it seem like they're going to point the medical experts who came out against, you know, continuing the season. And they're going to point to this, I guess, symptom called myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart and including shortness of breath, chest pain, regular heartbeat, all that. Apparently, there's at least 15 players in the Big Ten who have experienced this. And so I guess they do have a fa- like a solid foundation to stand on if they really truly believe this. And there were medical experts that came out and said, hey, it's not safe to continue. However, I find it very odd that there were just medical experts that came out and said for the SEC that they're okay to continue under the certain circumstances until something else happens, until further information happens. So I don't know. I guess that that's kind of what the Big Ten is pointing to. But Sam, at the same time, I, I think it's just the same. It's the same conversation that we've been having since coronavirus came into our reality, right? It, it, we had it with are masks beneficial or are they not beneficial? You know, at the beginning, I think it was the World Health Organization said that they provide a false security. But now, I don't know the the number off the top of my head anymore, but now a lot of states have mandatory mask regulations. So it's like, it's the same thing. It's, is this result or side effect that's caused by COVID? Is it a true health effect? Is it a true risk? Or is it just people being overly cautious because we don't have long-term information and I get it. And I totally respect, and I think every player should be given the opportunity to sit out the season, to maintain their scholarship, to not lose eligibility if they don't want to play the season because they don't feel like they want to put themselves at risk. None of us are doctors, but to me, it's like, could those breathing problems also occur even if we weren't under a pandemic right now? And look, we really don't know that answer. But the thing that we have to realize is we can't use these anecdotal 
outlier stories to influence our decisions because you have to look at, okay, what are the likelihoods by and large? Mm -hmm. And so if you use these crazy outlier stories to shape policy, you're going to have flawed policy. To me, it's that simple. Fellas, I think this is probably a pretty good transition here to the reasons why I believe that college football should happen this fall. And I was going to go point by point and then allow you guys to hop in. Is, is that good with you? Yeah, shoot. Perfect. For college football to happen this fall, so if the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 decide to move forward, players should have the ability to opt out without fear of losing their scholarships. I think that's first and foremost. I know the SEC has done this. And a lot of the players do want to play. They've started the hashtag we want to play movement, which we'll get to here in a little bit. So that would be my first thing there. Number two, and James, you touched on this a little bit earlier in tonight's pod, is that nothing should be set in stone. There should be flexibility. And the more flexibility you can allow, the more you can postpone decisions, the more up-to-date, real-time information that you can get. And then three, we talked about this as well, and I'll let you guys hop in here, at least for the first three steps of this plan, is that, again, because players would be a part of their team, they'd be healthier within the structure of football than outside it. And that goes back to testing. It goes back to contact tracing, academic structure. Being in, I don't know if you could call it a bubble at a college level. I don't think you could get that same regulation that you can in the bubbles that they have in the NBA and NHL. Yeah, yeah. But at least, again, limiting that exposure to others as best you can, I feel would be better within a college football system than outside of that. Yeah. So just to summarize, point one was... Anyone who wants to opt out of the season has every right to do that, and they should not be forced to play against their will. And if you want to opt out and you're a scholarship athlete, you can opt out. Two, again, is nothing set in stone, that there's flexibility. And then three is that the players are healthier within the structure of college football than they would be outside of it. Yeah, and that's what I find so odd is like they just came out with the schedule, which included those bye weeks that they could flex in games. And that's why it seemed like they already kind of had it set up where they – could anticipate outbreaks, but still adjust on the fly. And accordingly, I agree with that that point for sure. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to argue with any three of those points. They all make sense to me. And honestly, if there is going to be a season or if any of the conferences are going to move forward with the season, they would have to implement all three of those to make it happen. And to be perfectly honest, as I've been kind of reading into this and listening to, to you guys and having this conversation right now, right? If I had the choice to play or not to play, I think that I would want to play one because I love the sport and two, because I would get tested four times a week. And personally, I've already kind of accepted, you know, it's like I'm doing the best that I can to not spread it if I get it or to not just get it in general. There's only so much that as an individual you can control, right? No one blames anyone for getting sick, but when push comes to shove, these guys have a great situation if they are unfortunate enough to become sick. They're getting tested frequently that it would be caught very on or maybe even the same day they contracted it. And then, you know, we talked about some of these side effects like the heart conditions. They would be monitored by team physicians 24-7 until those side effects are resolved or, or healed or go away. So for me, 
I think about that kind of like that point number three, and it's like that access to testing and that extra access to healthcare that I would assume, or I would hope every single one of these athletes would receive would really incentivize me to want to play because I would want that little bit of extra protection, that extra security blanket in case I were to get sick, because I know I'm going to come out on the other side and probably be better than just your average Joe. Yeah. I mean, I think those first three points are the logical reasoning for a season, but I think this next point that Mark's going to make is the one that hits home for me the most. And uh, the one that I think is going to be the most disappointing of why we love sports and uh, go ahead, Mark. So the fourth point is the human impact of cancellation. And that's, you're taking these student athletes performing at a division one college football level who've trained their entire life to get to this point and to have that taken away. So there's a lot of different angles to this, whether that's deteriorating mental health, increased substance abuse, and also loss of opportunity. And so what do I mean by that? Brought this up a few weeks ago when we were debating the coronavirus. And I think of a guy like Joe Burrow last season. Going into the year for LSU, he was probably a mid to late round draft pick. And he had one of the most historic seasons we've ever seen in college football. Goes on to become the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. So by canceling the season, the Big Ten and Pac-12 players who would be in a similar situation as Joe Burrow don't have that ability to showcase their skill set. And that's an opportunity that's going to be lost with the cancellation of those two conferences. And even if it was just a game-by-game decision, that still gives these guys game tape for the NFL that I think of the guys that are on the cusp, the guys that aren't necessarily on a roster, but they have a chance of like breaking out this year. You love those type of stories. Like I said, the Joe Burrows. I mean, Tua was an overnight sensation when he came in and won a championship for Alabama. But there's a bunch of guys that are seniors that we don't really know about yet. And we won't know about them anymore because they don't get that opportunity. And that's what's really a bummer. And that's why we love sports. We love stories like that. We love talking about guys that overcome obstacles. And that's, you know, that's hard to, to grasp, I think, at this point, especially with those athletes. You know, I think one of the big things that we're drawn to are these sensational stories like Joe Burrow, like the one that you, you mentioned, Mark. But how about these guys that might be right now as it stands, a lock to go to the NFL, right? They might be a high second round pick, but a great senior season or maybe even a great junior season would put them into the mid first round. And just the difference in money that they would get in that first rookie contract from playing an extra season and the difference that that could have on their lives, I think that's a huge impact as well. And if you think about it, and if the season does happen in the spring, any guy that has any NFL potential or any guy that's a lock to go to the NFL, they're not going to play. They're not. The risk isn't there. Hold that thought, James, because towards the end of the pod, we will get to that in terms of what the repercussions are of this decision. But you're spot on. You're spot on. And if you want to keep this at the college level as well, think about all of the guys that come from lesser situations, maybe single parent homes growing up where they don't have that opportunity then to get a degree or the opportunity to go pro. They're not given those chances now and with the cancellation of the season. So, I mean, I think about this, 
we've had debates with friends of ours where it's like, you know, should kids go back to school or not? And I think about things that like, think about the kids that need the at school lunches or kids that don't have access to Wi-Fi at their home. Something that we take for granted because access to Wi-Fi is pretty much like having water in 2020 with how we operate and how we live our day-to-day lives. And so that's kind of what I think about there. When you want to continue about the financial impact too, it's not just the TV ad revenue, it's money from boosters as well, but also you're losing out on tens of thousands of scholarship opportunities for college athletics without football as a financial engine. We've talked about this before. Football and men's basketball are the two revenue generating sports in college athletics. And without that, a lot of the other scholarship opportunities for those other sports are not going to be available for student athletes. And I think it's important to note as well that not every single football and basketball program is generating cash over fist, right? Not everyone is Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State and Notre Dame, right? A lot of these schools like a Missouri or maybe an Arkansas or a Purdue or I don't know, some, some of these other programs, right? They aren't generating that cash flow that some of these larger programs have. Now you kind of take like another little direction at that. I think college athletics really depend on fans to generate a lot of this revenue. So these teams are already taking and these universities are already taking a big hit by not having fans in the stands. I was listening to the herd today and he notes that on average, a lot of your collegiate stadiums are actually larger than your pro stadiums. Auburn Stadium seats, I think, 85,000. Philadelphia, a major city, as opposed to a small town in Alabama, sits only about 70, 75,000. Mm-hmm. So these schools are already taking a massive hit in revenue by not being able to have fans in the stands and from ticket sales. And now you're taking away some of these TV contracts and other revenue generators. And there's a massive hit to the revenue of some of these sports programs. Here's another thing to consider going off that topic, you know, and we talked about shifting liability and maybe these uh, leaders of the conferences or president of a school wants to, you kind of wash their hands of it and not really deal with it because if something were to happen, they could lose their job. But on the flip side of that, don't you think that what if the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 come out and actually lead a very successful season and complete it? You know, I'm sure there'll be minor hiccups here and there, but they're generating this revenue. Don't you think if a Big 12 leader or a leader at these schools who are incremental or important in deciding these big decisions of can- canceling, postponing college sports and missing out on all that revenue when they see another Power 5 conference able to do that? I think that could cost them their job as well. I think that's a big thing just to consider financially is we want to look out for the safety of the players for sure, but that's a a huge, huge factor in these decisions. James, I want to go back to something you were saying earlier about Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence. And he is one of the first players who started the hashtag we want to play movement. Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields has as well. Joe Burrow has weighed in as well. He's now in the NFL, obviously. What do you think it says about a guy like Trevor Lawrence, who we know is going to be a top pick in next year's NFL draft, that he's one of those players who really has the most to lose 
and yet he still wants to play a season this fall. What do you think that says about his character? I think it only would increase his draft stock. I don't really know how you can go higher than number one overall, <laughs> but but I think it kind of shows you the type of guy he is, and he's the guy he wants to get out there with his teammates. He wants to get out there and compete, and that's what you want in a quarterback, and that's what you want in your number one overall pick. And he's just continuing to prove it. He's saying all the right things. And I think he's saying them better than a lot of the leaders of these sports conferences. And he's making more compelling arguments than a lot of the leaders in these sports conferences as well. So, I mean, to, I guess to summarize what I'm saying, he's, he's handling the media very well. And I think it, it only will solidify his draft stock. I just talk about a guy who's already won everything. He's won the national championship as like a true freshman. I mean, he's got everything to lose going into the season. And he's I guess he wants a Heisman. Number one, exactly. <laughs> but it's good to see somebody like this come out and lead this movement. I think he's got great points. As we start to wrap up the pod here, and we'll get into the repercussions here in just a second, kind of my closing thoughts before we get into, okay, so what happens next is, you know, if people are so fearful that they want to stay in their homes for months and months and months and months until there's a vaccine, that's well within the right. They can choose to do that. But those people shouldn't take away from the rights of the other people who understand that life comes with risks. And people who are willing to accept those risks moving forward and to live their lives and to do what's best for them individually. And that's probably the biggest problem that I have with the Big Ten and Pac-12's decision. Now, I talked about the repercussions in sports being canceled. The Big Ten and the Pac-12 has plans, or at least so they say, they're going to at least try for a spring football season. And guys, I thought about this. There's no chance that that happens. And I just want to outline a few reasons why. There's no guarantee that we're going to be in a better spot come springtime with the virus than we are right now. We don't know if a vaccine will be available. We can hope that it's going to be available early next year, but hope really isn't a strategy at all. Why would a top pick like a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields play with April's NFL draft? James, you said it. There's way too much risk if you're going to play in the spring but then hope to get drafted come April's NFL draft or even participate in the NFL combine. So you're going to have a huge group of players that are more established and that will be future NFL players that aren't going to play if there were to be a spring season. Now, I also just want to chime in and let's just think about this from a logistics standpoint. What does a spring season even mean? You know, when someone says spring, I think April, March, April, May, maybe early June, right? But I think the reality of a spring season, to your point, Mark, is like, who knows what will happen with the vaccine because a spring season might start in January or February. So you're going to combine a potential flu season with COVID. I don't see a spring season being any safer than a fall season. And think about it. If, if, you know, that's only four months difference between starting in September and, and January, February. You know, it's just. You're right, Mark. It, it's just kind of crazy. I think maybe they're just saying that just to like save some face. You know, we're going to like look into it. But I agree. I don't think that's a very likely situation. I think, I think what it comes down to is what we mentioned before. It just seems like the consensus of a first-year commissioner. Yeah. A couple of other points I want to make, too. There are potential dangers of playing in the spring 
and then having a really quick turnaround and playing in the fall again. They say football is a contact sport. No, football is a collision sport. And so to play another season only a few months later from what you're claiming, player safety, spring season to fall season, that doesn't work for that either. And here's the thing too. If you can't play college football outside in the fall, how are you going to play an indoor basketball game in November, December, January, and February? So you know what? If they cancel college football across the board, again, depending on what the Big 12, the ACC, and the SEC decides, you can kiss March Madness goodbye for another season. And again, you talk about those revenue-generating sports for athletic departments you're talking potential bankruptcy in terms of not bringing in the same revenue relative to these athletic departments spending. Yeah. I mean, fellas, we got a potential chess match on our hands, boys. Like, can you imagine if the SEC, ACC, Big 12 decide to go through? I mean, does that open up? Can people transfer? Does these conferences take fans away from Big 10? You know, there's a lot of things to, to think about. James, I've got to ask you, as someone whose boots are on the ground in Nebraska, I know Scott Frost has been adamant about wanting to play a season. I know a lot of the leadership politically in Nebraska has been a proponent of playing the season. I mean, could Nebraska go back to the Big 12? Or like, I I mean, Sam, I mean, you're talking of a, a can of worms if those other conferences decide to follow through Pretty much every big-time Big Ten coach has said that he is in favor of playing a season, from Jim Harbaugh to Ohio State's Ryan Day. But, James, what are you hearing in Nebraska in terms of what the scuttlebutt is there? Well, I'm not exactly in the bars on the street because of of the virus. But I do have to say, people in Nebraska live and breathe Husker football, very similar to how Tuscaloosa – lives and breathes Crimson Tide football, right? It means a little more here. And here in Nebraska, we don't have pro sports teams. Everyone's like, oh, you have the Chiefs. That's in a different state. That's a three-hour drive away. People watch the NFL, but it's very different when that team isn't in the same city as you. And this is Cornhusker football. And and so I think when Scott Frost came out and said that Nebraska is going to potentially look for a way to find games. I don't put it past the athletic director of Nebraska and Scott Frost to go out and find games. It could very well happen. I don't know much on that. I think too, I mean, it's, it's too soon to really tell, but I think it's a real possibility and I wouldn't be surprised if Nebraska played this season. And honestly, it, it would just make a mockery of the big 10 if it happens. Sam, a chess match was a great way to describe potentially what could happen. And really a lot stems on what's going to happen over the next several days of, okay, what does the ACC, the Big 12, and the SEC decide? I will say this. If college football, the Power Five conferences decide to cancel across the board, the NFL will come in and scoop up Saturday programming. So you're still going to have football on Saturdays. But if I'm an NFL owner, I'm rooting for this tenfold because then I know my product's ratings come Saturdays and Sundays is going to be tenfold. Oh yeah. I mean, I I would say that the effect on the NFL of college football potentially being canceled is a completely different conversation that that could last us a while. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. I think about yeah. how huge of an opportunity it really is for NFL to really take over the, the Saturday afternoon, evening market. And I also think about like the potential draft and, and there's just so many different things to consider when it comes to the NFL in this situation, but I think they would definitely benefit. And I think they would even be way more determined to not mess this up because it's like, if there's no football and there's no college football, I guess we can kind of live with that. If there's at least NFL on Sundays, potentially Saturdays, and Thursdays and Mondays, I mean, at least give me fantasy, please, boys, please. I can't live without <laughs> fantasy. <laughs> I mean, if, if we're talking about the NFL on Saturdays, I would have to believe that the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 all canceled their seasons as well. Mm-hmm. But, and it's a big but, do you think that any of the college conferences, Power 5 conferences, will continue with a season? That's I a mean, great question. I, I would have a to say. a great question. I, I really don't know, James. I really don't know. I would have to know. say the most likely would be the SEC seems driven to have a season. And much like the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are interlinked, I kind of see the ACC and the SEC as being interlinked as well. And I think if one continues with the season, the other will follow. Those are a lot of big name teams. I think that you could call a ACC and SEC only NCAA football season a success. You have Clemson, you have no Notre love Dame. for the Big Twelve, huh? You have Clemson, <laughs> you have Notre Dame, you have Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Florida. You have most of you have almost all of your top five. No, all right. Now some love. If the Big Twelve also continues, then you can throw in Oklahoma and Texas. And honestly, if those three conferences go through, you're really only missing Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio State. I mean, USC hasn't been relevant for years. Oregon hasn't been the same quite since Chip Kelly left. So, James, you might be onto something in terms of you still have intact a lot of the premier teams in college football, even with the Big 12, the ACC, and the SEC, if they decide to stand together and decide to play a season. I think SEC and ACC, I think they play. I don't know about Big 12. I'm not confident enough to make a decision on that, but that's my prediction. I think my prediction would be that SEC is going to go as long as possible without having to make a decision. And then I think they might get to the point where a bunch of teams get coronavirus and they're like, okay, well, at least we tried and we're going to put an end to the season. couple things with what Sam just said there. I think the SEC is the most important. I mean, if you're building a house, right, you want your base to be strong. The SEC holding out the longest, that's your most valuable product when it comes to college football. In terms of waiting the longest, at least in terms of a PR standpoint, if the SEC does hold out the longest, and even if they do decide to cancel where it's like, hey, it would just be us playing an all-conference schedule, at least they can say from a PR standpoint, we tried everything we could do in our ability to try to make this work. And I feel like even if they do end up canceling, but they hold out the longest, they end up looking the best from a PR standpoint. So here's my other question for you guys as far as the impacts from COVID and continuing a season. Now, let's, let's, I want to pose kind of two hypotheticals to you. And the first is, does the Big Ten then have a competitive advantage over conferences that continued with their season 
because they will have more players on scholarships and therefore have deeper teams. Now I'm going to expand on that a little bit, right? So let's say that, and I'm just going to use the SEC and Big Ten as examples for simplicity reasons. The SEC continues their season. Their players lose a year of eligibility because they played and then they graduate out, right? Now the Big Ten hit their season, put pause. They didn't happen. Those players retained that eligibility and therefore it can move forward. And they're going to have about four years of having increased roster size. Does that give teams that don't play a competitive advantage in the future? I would think that the NCAA would step in and limit the number of scholarships that either a Big Ten or Pac-12 school would be able to issue just because you have to have a certain amount of roster size or at least players on your active roster. And I'll say this, though, too, James, on the flip side of that, if the Big Ten season is, in fact, canceled as it appears to be right now after today's decision – a quarterback like Justin Fields, he's not sticking around Columbus. Yep. He's going to go straight to the NFL. So but that's, Again, that's only going to be maybe one or two players. James, so I, if there's an advantage, team. maybe for a season or two, but not long term. If I'm a freshman and I'm thinking of where I'm going to go to school the next year and I am between an SEC school where there might be more positions open because I'm not going to have to compete against all the returning seniors versus a – Big Ten school that there's going to be a lot less opportunity for me. I might choose an SEC school. And I think to Mark's point, you're probably not going to get the top guys that are returning. You're going to get a lot of the guys who are perennial college football athletes that are great players, but you're not going to get the superstars back that are guaranteed in the NFL draft. Yeah. I mean, like I said too, I think that's another thing that you have to kind of pay attention to. And that's, how does not playing a season affect recruiting? Just from a pure numbers standpoint, affect recruiting and affect roster sizes moving forward. That's something I know at least the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have canceled right now. And so the players are trying to figure out they don't want this season if they're not going to play to count against them in terms of what eligibility that they have left. And that's something that the conferences that decide to cancel are going to have to figure out with their players and their programs moving forward. Final thought is that I hope that the big 10 don't end up looking foolish and have their major programs begin to play outside of the conference. I think that could be a potential can of worms that conferences like the big 10 wouldn't even want to touch. And I think, too, it could potentially decentivize an Ohio State from potentially wanting to be in a conference moving forward, right? They're a large enough school that they would be just fine on their own. I think they could manage very similar to a Notre Dame as far as scheduling and revenue. The Big Ten splits the revenue equally, and it's already at a disadvantage to those schools to have to get the same amount of revenue as a Purdue. So my final thought would be, if there is a silver lining, you know, I like to look at like the positive things in life. Hopefully we get some really good sound bites about from Harbaugh and like, you know, all these players are like, we want to play. Like we we're doing this for the boys, like stuff like that. You know, like I'm really hoping that you get some good sound bites out of these perennial football coaches that we've grown to love over the years. Especially considering that again, last week, the big 10 put out its schedule. These players have been, absolutely working their tails off 
in preparation for the season. It's the summer, it's hot. And to have that robbed from them, my heart goes out to those guys. My heart goes out to those guys because that camaraderie at the collegiate level is something they'll only get once in their life. Sam, before we sign off here, I want you to send us off on a positive note as well. The St. Louis soccer team, Major League Soccer, what, we're two days away now from the team unveiling its name. Mark, we sure are. Thursday, 11 a.m., the St. Louis soccer team, the MLS to the Lou group, will announce the team name and crest and colors of St. Louis's new franchise. And two days. You know, I posed the question, what do you guys think? And I think we might have some reaction to the news. Do we? Do we? Are we going to have? I didn't know this. I didn't know this. Are we going to have a live reaction? Are we going to have a, a Facebook or a, an Instagram live reaction from Sammy Wrench and the boys on the, on the, yeah. the Lou MLS soccer team reveal? Yeah. All right. You heard it here. You heard it here, folks. It's going to happen. Okay. So that's what we're looking forward to this week. Two days. Fantastic. Guys, I think we handled this really, really well. For any of the listeners out there, if you enjoyed our discussion about the state of college football, please rate, review, and subscribe to Stuck in Misery wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify and on Stitcher. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe. Fellas, this was a lot of fun. going to go ahead and sign off here. For Sam Renshin and James West, I'm Mark Bergen. Thank you for listening to Stuck in Misery. Take care. So long. See you next time.